Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Boston comedian Sam Ike. This is one of my favorite episodes. We talked about baseball, Taco Bell, and Blank Man. How can you beat that combination? Try it. It can't be done. Sam is pretty great. He started doing comedy in Boston, has performed all over the country, and now he's on this podcast. Where can he go from here? Anywhere, probably. But I'm glad he was here for an hour. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. For God's sakes, tell your friends. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. Hey, thank you so much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem, dude. I'm happy. I'm happy to do it. I appreciate it. What were you going to be doing at about this time if not for a podcast? Oh, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I think at this exact time, I'd probably be going for a run, like a short. I go for. I'm trying to go for a run like every day that it hasn't been like bad out. Yeah, and uh, that hasn't been the case in the, like the past three months, <laughs> four months. But <laughs> is that I'd, like? Well, you're you're naturally you're in shape. I mean, it seems like is that your natural uh, routine, or are you trying to get in better shape or improve or make up for anything you put on during COVID? I have terrible health habits. I've just been very fortunate that it hasn't like shown long term. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am not a uh, I am not by any means a health person at all. Like I before COVID, I was like yeah, I like went to the gym twice a week. But I would I want to clarify that I went to the gym twice a week and it was only because the gym was two blocks from my apartment. Like it wasn't I, I got it I got a I got a gym membership to the one closest. Like it was not <laughs> if I lived a mile away from like a gym, there's a good chance I would have not have had a gym membership. Like, like all you would like, need to do is just walk to the gym and then walk back. Like forget the membership. <laughs> I'm just gonna walk to the gym four times yeah. a week and I'll be yes. set. Yes, yes. And that and then COVID happened. I was like, okay, if I run four days a week, that's like better than if I went to the gym. Right. <laughs> like it was, it's the same amount of work I felt like. So I was like, I'd rather do this. I Yeah. I had all these aspirations because um, I, I probably put on like 30 pounds over COVID probably. Yeah. And it, it's not good. Like you probably can't tell from my face. Like my face is always the same. Everywhere else is like, ooh, except for my ass. I, I will never have an ass. It's <laughs> you know, like uh, I'll wear a belt as tightly as possible when my pants still fall down. So I got that <laughs> curse. But but no, I in December, I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. I got to stop it. I bought an exercise bike and I built it. It's like a, I spent like $170, built the thing, felt like a man, put it in my bedroom. I haven't used it yet. Like it's been sitting there for more than three months. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I knew it was going to happen. I just had high aspirations and no, never. Did you get that one that everyone got the Peloton? One? No, if I if I spent like two grand on a bike, I would definitely use it. But it's <laughs> like I'm like, oh, you know what? Like Discover won't mind. So it's like yeah. a gift from the credit card. But no, I think I think if I got a Peloton and you have to take like classes or I don't you probably don't have to. But like what I should do is buy a gym membership because that's the only way I would definitely go because I'm way too fucking cheap to not (laughs) go to the gym. You know, 
I yeah, dude. I the the whole concept of like trying to get in shape during this was like never a goal. It was yeah. mainly I was like, I guess the only thing I can do is go outside. Like that was <laughs> <laughs> so like the sheer idea of buying exercise equipment was like insane to me. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I was like, I don't want another reason to be inside. Like that was <laughs> that was the thing I'm trying to avoid. Yeah, I was in decent shape when a couple years ago. I pl- I love playing softball, and it was you know I I played baseball all my life, and then you know you get to college and they say no, you can't play baseball anymore, and I'm like oh well that's okay, I figured, but like <laughs> like it hurt, and then I recovered by playing softball, and I played softball for a number of years, and then in 2018 I broke my collarbone and like I smashed it, it broke into ten pieces, and. I uh, rehabbed a little bit, got back, like I had surgery, rehabbed, played again. And in the last game of the season, I broke it again while stretching. So that was it. But I had lost like 14 pounds, you know, exercising, playing softball, eating better because I wanted to get back into playing shape, uh, you know, which is playing shape for softball. You know, that probably meant getting bigger. But uh, for me, it was smaller. I lost 14 pounds and then I broke the collarbone and my doctor was like, yeah, stay off everything, like sit down, go to the couch. And I have not gotten off the couch yet. So it's been, it's been almost three years and uh, you can definitely tell. <laughs> yeah. I hear you, man. It's, it's a, and it happened so quickly. Oh, like, no. It goes by so fast. <laughs> well, how, how old are you? I'm 32. Okay. So yeah, you're still at that point the point where you can probably lose weight pretty quickly. Like I, when I was losing that 14 pounds, I was 35 and I could do it. And cause at one point I remember over a nine month span when I was in my twenties, I lost 77 pounds. So Whoa. like, yeah, I just ate better. I exercised like a fucking idiot, but I would eat Taco Bell salsa packets at like midnight to jumpstart the metabolism. And like, I could Whoa. do that. Yeah, and I was hungry all day, but I'm like, no, let me eat this. I was basically like an after-school special of what not to do, <laughs> but I did it for nine months. And now, if I if I started doing that, it wouldn't matter. Like, I just everything just settles, and it's like, nah, man, you know, you decided on this Nacho Bal Grande, it's gonna sit with you for like seven years. So yeah, yeah. hope you enjoy it. <laughs> That's exactly how I, like I was so used to. So before. Right before the lockdown, I was on like a like a three month trip and I had gained the most amount of weight I've ever gained in my life. And I, I lost all of it immediately throughout the summer because I had nothing else to do but go for runs. And then it was like sometime it got cold and I just noticed like slowly but surely I was like, oh, I can feel more. Like <laughs> I, I feel, I feel more, and then, and then, like I, I weighed myself like three weeks ago, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like yeah. I accomplished nothing. I went, I went right back to where I was, and I did nothing like throughout that time period. But yeah, it it just like it happens, so, and then it, and then you lose it so fast, yep. and you think like, "Oh, I can." I can maintain this forever. And no, no, no. The part that they don't tell you is that once you lose the weight, you have to maintain losing it. Like it just, they don't, they don't give you like a a pass where it's like, Hey, two months, you don't have to do shit. Like, yeah. When I lost all that weight, I was like, you know what? I deserve Burger King. (laughs) First of all, only 
bad people deserve Burger King. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's like a gateway. Like, okay, I'll. That's why, like, I don't like the I don't like the term cheat day. I don't think it's. I mean, it's the ch- term is fine, but like, if you're gonna work out, work out. Because once you have a cheat day, it's like, okay, well, it's so easy to turn that into a cheat weekend or a yeah, cheat, yeah. you know, February. It's dangerous. And yeah, but I know because I was working as a, a sports reporter and I rarely ever had an evening off and or I couldn't eat dinner or I'd have to eat at like two. So inevitably at like six o'clock, seven o'clock after like a high school baseball game or softball game, something like that. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll go to Taco Bell. I'll go to Arby's, something like that. Bring food into the office. And then you look in your car at the end of the week, you're like, oh, my God, there are so many straw wrappers and discarded <laughs> bags. And uh, I hope nobody hope nobody watches me as I clean this car out, because this is like I got to wait until, you know, to do it at the nighttime. So nobody <laughs> sees this. It's awful. It's crime. It's what, bad. What's your rankings in, uh, as far as fast food goes? Oh, man. Uh, you want like a top three, top five, something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Top three, top five-ish. It doesn't have to be in an exact order, but at least your one has to be oh, like well, tight. My, yeah, my number one is Taco Bell. And that's yeah. been, God, I want to say since I was introduced to it in the 90s. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm 38, and I'm old enough to remember when the Nacho Bell Grande was a cheap meal. It's not expensive now, but it's like it's probably double the price. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but Taco Bell for me has always been. A, I'd probably go McDonald's next. If you take fat, like Subway, if you say Subway is fast food, I'll put that number two. But okay. a lot of people don't okay. think so. I think you need a driveway. Drive through, yeah, yeah, yeah. Drive through, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, I, I think that's that's really good indicator. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, you know what I really like, and but it, we have one in town. And I've only had it two or three times. I love Popeyes, but I haven't had it enough to put it in my rankings. Like, okay. But I would go Taco Bell, number one, probably McDonald's, two, then Burger King. I do like Arby's a lot, but I don't go there enough. <laughs> I probably go there enough, but as often as the, the others. But yeah, I would go, man, if I had, you know, Wendy's is really good too. I would put Wendy's, Wendy's ahead of Arby's. Good, yeah. Okay. Okay. How about you? My top five. What would I do? I'd go Taco Bell number one. I will agree with you on that. And then I would probably, I guess, I guess KFC would count. So I guess I would go KFC. That's a good call. But for me, it's like with KFC, it's like to get like a full meal at KFC for like two people. It's like at that point, it's like, why wouldn't I just go at a restaurant? (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, (laughs) I don't like, it's like KFC is on equal prices of an olive garden. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. It's plus like, no tip. I, yeah. And I never go to an olive garden. So it's like, I don't, I don't see like the point. And then, yeah. And then I'd probably go Arby's. I'd probably do Arby's. And then after that, after that, it gets really wonky where it's like, I can see all of them kind of like equally as like, kind of like it all fluctuates to the point where it's like, that's when it's like, I would choose the chain sandwich shops well above, you know, that's when it's like, it's like, to me, it's really a debate of like, you got Taco Bell, KFC, maybe Popeye's, maybe Arby's, and then maybe Burger King, McDonald's. And then it's like, then the other grouping is like Subway, Quiznos, Shake Shack, like those kind of places. And it's like, obviously those would take the cake, but that's when it, yeah. 
but I after forget. like three or four, I feel like I feel like they're all like I feel like the difference between number four and number eight on anybody's rankings is like very tiny. Yeah, and you know I forget too, and it's it's not fast food, I guess, but Chipotle is so good. Oh yeah, and I I we have one in town, and I completely forget that we have one, and I think we've got like a Jimmy John's, and I. I I've been there in Maryland, and we when I lived in Baltimore, we had a Five Guys, and I think that was relatively new. And I don't think I'd ever voluntarily go to a Five Guys again, only because the food is good. But there was something about eating fries out of a bag, you like a brown paper bag that you could see through. <laughs> and it just didn't sit right with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's so many other things I could be eating but I'm eating out of this translucent bag that I can't put down anywhere because it's going to slide off the table. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed weird. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. I, I, when it goes to the burger places for me, it's like Shake Shack is number one, but I do like five guys. I, but I like tasty burger more. Do you have tasty burger out? out No, I've never heard of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is is that just a Boston thing? It might be just Boston. It's the official. It's the official burger of the Boston Red Sox. So it's quite a big deal. All right, all right. So <laughs> yeah. okay. So are you a baseball fan too? Oh yeah, God, I awesome. love, okay. love baseball. So say a Yankee fan is going into Boston for a game and they go to Tasty Burger. Are they allowed? I mean, do they do they order? You know, with a little bit of trepidation, like, okay, what's going to go into my burger? Am I going to come out? With all of my limbs, like, is there danger? I think there was a time where that was, like, definitely a worry, for sure. When I was growing up, I remember stories of, like, confrontations all the time of Red Sox and Yankees fans at Fenway, like, all the time. Now, I don't know, only because, like, the area is so industrialized now. Like, there's just so much. Before... In the like '90s and the 2000s, it was dive bars there. You know what I mean? There were and and like and just like some like shopping centers and like a gas station and like a rundown hotel. Like and then like across from it was like a park where like it was notorious that when you would walk throughout this like park, like kind of n- near Fenway, it was like you would just you were going to see a prostitute giving a blowjob. Like, but definitely, <laughs> like if it was past nine o'clock there was going to be somebody getting a blowjob at some point on your walk. Like it was just a different neighborhood. So I would say so back in the day, I would say now, I would say now it's more like if a Yankee fan went to a restaurant and they were like, or a bar and they were like extremely rude. Yeah. I could imagine. I could imagine something like that happening. Yep. I'm a big Mets fan and they, you know, they got a new stadium now, you know, Shea is gone. And the biggest change that I noticed and because last time I went to a Mets game at City Field, I stayed at a hotel in I don't know if it's Little Little Tokyo or Little China, whatever it was. I forget the, the name of it, but it was in Queens, and it was definitely a Chinese neighborhood. Like like there was a there was a twenty four hour Chinese buffet, which I wanted to go to, but my instinct said don't like, <laughs> like just don't do the twenty four hour buffet. Uh, but I walked, I walked to City Field and it was, you know, a relatively nice area. I remember at Shea Stadium, you know, if you looked outside, there were chop shops all over the place. Like, yeah, you, you walked over and you, I mean, you hoped your car was still on the spot. Otherwise, you might be able to see it somewhere, you know, on the way to where it was parked. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't a fantastic neighborhood. 
Uh, but <laughs> so much of that stuff is is cleaned up, and I don't know. Part of me misses it. Like I, I like the there was a a certain amount of charm in that element of danger. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. like it's I don't know, but it's probably I guess you know beneficial to you know people surviving. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You 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 definitely miss that like that old feel to it but at the but then you think about it's like this is not sustainable (laughs) this can't be this it can't be this dirty all the time like (laughs) like i remember going to fenway and it was just absolutely filthy (laughs) like like i remember the the especially the garden the td garden where the where the celtics and the bruins play like that place was disgusting that was one of the most disgusting (laughs) and now it's like i just remember the floors i remember the parkway floors yeah, and yeah. It was so iconic when when I would play like NBA Live on like '97. I mean, I think they had Mitch Richmond on the cover. I mean, that's how old it was. <laughs> it, was for, it was for the original PlayStation, and we would love playing at the you know the uh, the Boston Garden just because of the park boy floor. I mean, it was a parquet floor, and yeah. uh, oh my god, it was just so iconic. And I mean, I watched the games. I, I was never there. I've I've never seen an NBA game live, but uh. Man, wow. it was it was yeah. Well, we don't have them. I'm in Binghamton, New York, and we're yeah. about three hours from New York City. And I mean, I guess you got that you got that minor league team, the what the Rivercats or something. Well, R- Rumble Ponies now. Uh, Rivercats, where are they? They're they're in New York, I think, but okay. not up here. I think, okay. I think the Rivercats might be Wilkesbury. What could be? Could be. Yeah, man. I I used to know all those minor league teams, you know, pretty well, but. Every couple of years they change names. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's tough. Like when when the Mets because it used to be the Binghamton Mets, and when they went to the Rumble Ponies, I'm like, man, that's it's gonna be a test of my memory. <laughs> like <laughs> once I once I forget what Binghamton's mascot is, their nickname, I'm fucked. <laughs> but I remember like I hope Pawtucket Red Sox never goes somewhere else. Like, unless they already have, and I don't know. But Pawtucket Oh, I have news for you. <laughs> oh no. God damn it. What are they? Uh, I I I don't remember if they officially changed name. I believe they are changing name, but they're moving to Worcester, and I think they're the like, yeah, I think they're like the Worcester Paw Sox. I think oh, I'm not. Sh- I'm I'm not sure what the name change was, but yeah, they, just, I, it's I just, so funny you mentioned that. <laughs> well, I just like I used to collect baseball cards, and I remember like seeing like a like a Tim Naring or a Scott Cooper card. Yeah, and their minor league affiliate, the AAA, was Pawtucket, and like it was just <laughs> that's the only. And then you know, uh, uh, Family Guy had Pawtucket in there. I, they're not from Pawtucket, but they go to the games there. And yeah, Kehog, and Cause, uh, yeah, because it takes place. Family Guy takes place in. Quag, Rhode Island. Rhode Island, yeah. Rhode Island, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's I don't know something about like I'm a traditionalist when it comes to baseball and, and a lot of sports, but like I just don't know. Like Do I don't you care. Have- so, I don't care so much that like they fuck around with cartoons as much as I the the tradition of baseball, like the history. Like I don't know. Sure. I, yeah. Like whenever they make rule changes, I, I get really irritated, and I, and I feel like the my inner 68 year old man is going to come out to play. Yeah. Are you against the uh, DH and the Natty in the National League? I like, yeah, I'm, I'm a weirdo. I really enjoy the separate rules for each league. Like, I think there's a charm in that, too. And yeah. I like the fact that Madison Bumgarner can hit in the National League. And then, you know, uh, there's Jim Abbott played, in a, he had one arm and he 
played in the American yeah. League. He went two for 21 in his career at the plate. He had one hand. Yeah. Like, <laughs> these guys can learn how to hit. Like for the yeah. most part, these pitchers were the best players on their team. They played shortstop in center field growing up. Like they were hitting third and fourth in the lineup. They can hit again. It's just like, you know, the minor leagues and some colleges are like, no, you're, you can't hit anymore. You're a pitcher. And they lost a little bit of time. But like Zach Greinke, you know, his career goal right now is 10 home runs and 10 stolen bases. Like dude's got nine home runs as a pitcher. They're good athletes. So I don't know. But I, I understand like the arguments like, oh, keep keep the rules the same. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's been that way since like 74. So leave it alone. But whatever. It'll work out well for the Mets, so I guess like I'll get used to it if they do change. But I don't know. It's I like the American League having the DH and the novelty. But yeah, I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you in the most part. But it's like to me, I just feel like there's just so many more players now, and there's so many more hitters that it's like at some point it, it's it's almost like having the DH will just add more excitement to lineups. So yeah. I feel like there's like this kind of like there's that kind of need but i'm kind of like it would be to me interesting if it was like the dh was just playoffs you know um yeah yeah i'm not sure you like, could do that just that one little rule uh i think uh because i assume you grew up a red sox fan yeah 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 so i mean i think that i think if you grew up an al fan especially if you're born after the D- after the dh was instituted you know you, you're a fan of dh I, for me right. as a nationally guy I, I just like to keep, you know, I used to watch Dwight Gooden uh, hit home runs with the Mets. And, yeah. you know, the Mets have always had a really good uh, history with hitting pitchers. And the Braves did. There there were certain teams who, Dodgers, who could really hit well. And then, you know, a team like the Marlins, you know, you had Dontrell Willis and then nobody else. I mean, it's, I don't know. There's just something cool about seeing Bartolo Cologne hit a fucking home run in San Diego and take 43 seconds to run around the bases. Dude wasn't jogging. I mean, he was full sprint, but 43 seconds. There's nothing nothing more exciting than watching Bartolo Cologne do almost anything. It's it's like, it's like seeing like an offensive lineman score a touchdown. Yeah. Like like a fat guy running into the end zone is like one of the greatest things in sports. Well, it was like what? Two, three years. Well, it had it wasn't that long ago. It was when the within the past five years he threw like a no hitter, right? Like it was like kind of recent. Uh, wasn't no, re- he, very, he, or he had like some like fourteen strikeout game or something insane. Yeah, something like that. But he, I think he has a no hitter with the Indians a okay. long time ago. I think okay. so because uh, he played with the Expos and the. I mean, he's played everywhere. Yeah, uh, I feel the A's like- before coming to the Mets. Just because, like, I'm I'm so like into like I play like fantasy baseball a lot and shit like that. I remember and doing like DFS and all that. And I remember there was some like weird stretch for like two months. Like maybe this was like three seasons ago, where like Bartolo Colon was like right next to like Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> like yeah. it was just yeah. it's he has these insane moments where he had these like insane streaks where it was like he might be the best pitcher in baseball right now. Like it's, <laughs> it's like it's and he did it so many times. Like yeah. and then and then he would become Bartolo Colon. You know, it was just yeah. like such an <laughs> it's so, it, so he was, he had such a weird career because he got popped for steroids or HDH or whatever it was and uh came back and then I think it, it's because he was so out of shape and, you know, anything he did, people loved him. And, you know, he was the guy you rooted for. 
he made a, a behind the back play. And that's still like lauded as like one of the greatest plays in Mets history. And I'm like, well, they did win a couple of world series, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> they've had good moments, but you know, Bartolo Colonna. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was fun to watch. Uh, hey, we should probably talk comedy though. Oh yeah. This is a comedy <laughs> podcast. <laughs> By the way, Sam Ike, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I love, I love the fact, uh, you know, I, I met you through. So tell us with Jerry McCallie and Dave Feinberg. I love oh, yeah. The fact that you can go deep on sports and they they always talk about your your uh, music stuff or music stuff your movie mind and uh, no I I'm interested in see how how you became a comedian and uh, you came up through Boston right yeah I started in Boston yeah I grew up like an hour from here and yeah I started I started there lived there pretty much most of my whole twenties yeah so what got you into comedy I guess like you know it was just like I always had an interest in like performance i guess and theater and all that like i you know i went to went to college for theater i was kind of a theater kid in high school so but i always watched comedy you know and then i got into improv i think i got into improv like a little bit after college a little actually no a little bit before it i took like some improv classes like youth theater stuff you know what i mean and um and i i took like improv stuff and i got into that and then I started improv and I was taking classes at these theaters in Boston and doing like sketch groups with my friends and stuff. And it was like, it was so much fun. I, I, I loved it. And then I would kind of do stand up. I was like, I was like occasionally doing it. You know, I like, it was like, I, I like sometimes someone will ask me like, when's the last time, when's the first time you did stand up? And I was like, I mean, the first time I ever did it, I did it once when I was like, 19 i did it like three times and then i didn't do it again for three years <laughs> like, oh, <wow>. you know? <laughs> like and then but then after that you know i did it like once a month it was just like i was more into i was just more into doing other stuff and then i started doing stand-up more consistently i say like sometime around like 2013 2014 yeah somewhere around there was when i was like at least doing it multiple times in a week and then yeah. i would say like 2015 was when i started like I, I kind of stopped doing improv altogether, but yeah, I just like, I always wanted to do stand up. It was just like kind of, but it always, it just felt scarier. It also just seemed confusing at first of like how to, like, I didn't know how to do it. Like, I didn't know what open mics were, you know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. yeah concept, me too. The concept of like a class, like the concept of improv or theater or acting in general is like, Oh, you take these classes and then you audition. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. It's like, you know, I understand there's a lot more to that. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. I totally understand that. But there was a simplicity in like, oh, that's what you do. Like, I used, <laughs> I always used to tell people this. I thought that like to be a stand-up comedian, you had to go like, like physically work at a comedy club. Like I, like beyond doorman, like you had to be, like you had to, you had to be like, a dishwasher then you oh, got okay. to be yeah. a janitor then then you got to be a comedian like i thought it was because <laughs> i saw like some documentary where that was the trajectory of someone i forget who but like that was like what they had to do and i thought that that was what you had to do and i was like ah man i don't i don't want to i don't want to fucking i want to wash dishes <laughs> but like i had no pro- i have no pro- i had no problem at that time in my life doing it during the day <laughs> just right, right. at night <laughs> did you ever watch sleepwalk with me 
by Birbiglia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you watch that movie, and it's so good. I I, I probably mentioned Birbiglia, like, you know, probably on average 12 times an episode. So I kind of like him. But I watch Sleepwalk With Me, and it's so good. But he was the bartender, and then, you know, oh, yeah. you know, manager came over, can you do five minutes? I guess this guy's late. <laughs> do five minutes. Yeah, 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 I can do that. So it, if you saw that, I think it would make complete sense. Oh, yeah, like like doorman, you know, waitstaff, bartender, yeah. guy who cleans up puke afterward, you know, then stand up. And and probably <laughs> for where the respect goes, that's probably the right order, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> respect everybody. And then the comedian, like he's yeah. chuckle, chuckles over there is in the corner. So ignore him. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I had literally no idea how, what state I thought like you, you, there was like a sign up, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there was like this, some, some kind of like, like union network. Like I had no idea how it worked. And then, you know, obviously that changed, but, like, <laughs> but yeah, I just had zero concept of how that worked. But then once you started like really getting, like really doing it, then it was just like, it just became like a, became a habit just like anything else, you know? Is it easy to get a start in Boston? I mean, b- with the history they've got there. I mean, it seems like if you look at any comedian, they've got it seems some Boston ties. I mean, I I think there's like a few factors for it. Like one, I think that in general, just from the sheer size of Boston as a city, like in comparison to other cities, it just has a bigger like culture of like independent artists in general. Just like from music to like, but with, with comedy clubs in general, it's just like in the, yeah, from like the 80s, the Boston comedy like scene was just like huge. And a lot of them moved to New York yeah. and they became bigger acts. Right. And so like that trickles down in a way. And, and yeah, like, so the city naturally had always had kind of a big scene. So in comparison to a lot of other cities, it's like, you know, Philadelphia is like four times the size of Boston, but Boston has like, I don't know, probably like four more comedy clubs than it. But like, you know, half of them have been around for like 20 years, you know, or or in some capacity like that. So I think that's like kind of like the big part of it is that it's just had sustainability because its turnout is pretty good. And then the other factor is just, it's just a mere fact that there's so many colleges like for a city that big it has more colleges than and that's that's really like underneath it all that's kind of like the big reason is because there's for a city that big to have that many colleges because it's not huge you know to have that many colleges and that many like and it ranges from like the most prestigious colleges in the world to just like you know standard you know good state schools right like but there's a bunch of art schools in there. There's a bunch of like, and there's a bunch of medical schools. And because of that, you just have more people from other places coming there. And then they live in Boston, then they get a job and then they start doing comedy and then they move to New York. And it's like, you know, if you look at like the list of a lot of the great Boston comics, like there's like, you know, somewhere between like 20 to 40% of them were people who came because of college, you know? Yeah, I know uh, a buddy of mine. It's in Cortland now. His name's Paul Kozlowski, and he was in Boston in the mid '80s and to early '90s, I believe. And that was with a huge boom. Now you probably know Barry Crimmins. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure people still talk about him, but he was. Oh yeah. He started. I don't know what comedy club it was, but I know the he Dean had a. Hill. Re- 
Yeah, oh yeah. And he had a really good reputation for paying his comedians, where a lot of people wouldn't. But Paul would tell me that, you know, Crimmins, you know, he was like a preachy guy, you know, he kind of a, an alt guy, but like he would tell stories about, yeah, well, I saw, you know, that's where I met Dana Gould and Louis C.K. and Sandler was there and Silverman was there and, you know, Attell would come die. And, and I think he was out before Burr really got big, but, or, you know, got going. But yeah, I mean, it was just like this revolving door of comedians. And then they would go to either New York or Chicago or, LA or San Francisco, but it seemed like Boston for a while, maybe still is, was like this epicenter of yeah. really good talent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, a large part of that is just like also the audiences are, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to perform a lot of places around the country. And like there is a difference in a Boston audience because like there's just a different kind of mixture of people there because you have like in any, I I always say this, like in any Boston audience, it's like you really do have like a big contrast of like the dumbest and smartest people in the world <laughs> living like they live in the same street and they they and they're and they're in the same room. And like you have to make both of them laugh, you know, and right. I think that's like that's like a big part of it. It's like you there's many different culture shocks as far as like audience is concerned as far as people who would go see live entertainment in Boston, there's a lot of different like culture mixes in there. Whereas like that's different than the actual representation of the city. Like the city's like, you know, just is very white, but like the areas in which like people go to a lot of the comedy shows in the city, they're all in like places near colleges, you know, they're yeah. all, so it's just this hyper density of people. Does that make it easier or more difficult to work on material for the road when you're in Boston, because it doesn't seem like Boston's a sensitive area. Um, I don't, I think like the, the differences are more in like a, the differences I feel like are kind of more in like a, a shorthand rather than like the material itself. Like it's, it's, it's more about like, I would say that there's like just East coast lingo. Okay. And just being, just the way you would talk about things or say stuff you I would there are some jokes I I would do slightly differently in the Midwest than I would in Boston or like I would say something or I would like add a different thing uh, like a tag that doesn't work in Boston would work here because of a certain kind of like because of an environment kind of thing, you know, like uh, a joke that I have where I make a, like, I have like a, like a tag, a few tags or like a, a small add on about like the subway, like riding the subway. I'm not going to necessarily do that in Minneapolis. So like that kind of stuff, just because they don't have subway, you know, <laughs> that's very true. Like, like, no, so, I was talking about the sandwich place. Remember Jared? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I was talking about the train. Yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. But that's not to say that like, if I had a really good story about riding the subway, I wouldn't, it wouldn't relate. Yeah. It's just like those little, like those little nuances, you know, it's like, I have a friend who performed in England, like, uh, for a little stretch. And he was just saying to me, he was like, yeah, he was just like, you know, there were just words that like, I just took for, you have to take for granted. Cause they don't have, they have zero concept of what you're talking about. You know, that kind of stuff. Was it, um, I think it was Pryor who, you know, he'd say the M word a whole lot. And then he went to Africa and he was like, oh, they don't say it there. 
<laughs> so yeah. like, oh, like th- that that word meant absolutely nothing over there. Yeah. Goes, oh, yeah. shit. And I think that's when he came back. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to say that anymore. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it also like, you know, these differences and people and audiences are also just like nice things to uh, mold yourself to become more malleable with them, you know? And I think that's like, that's also like intriguing in and of itself. Like I like the, I like the fact that you have to kind of evolve to place to place, you know? Do you have a favorite place to do comedy? I mean, I assume Boston's a high on the list, but if you, <laughs> if you take Boston out of there, do you like one city more than the other? Mm, do I like, you know, I, I mean, like, if you ask me of all the places I've ever done comedy, I mean, I would definitely say Hawaii, but it has. Oh yeah, okay, all right. It has it has very little to do <laughs> with, with how the show went, right? right. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah, I, I, I would say like I think it's more about like there's like venues that I remember that I loved, you know, stuff like that, rather than like necessarily cities. Like I, I you know. I do think you go to a place second, third time around, you like, you kind of get an idea of what worked and what works and what doesn't and like what appeals, you know, and you see the other comics around. So you get a a good sense of what, what you can do there to have like a successful show. But I feel like that's that to me, the experience of the city is like more interesting. So like, or like what the vibe is of the venues and stuff like that. So it's 2015. You're, you just started doing stand up on a regular basis. When did you feel like you, you know, we're connecting with the audiences. When did you feel like everything was clicking for you? Ooh, I don't, I don't think I've ever felt that. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I love that because I don't think I've met one comedian who is fully sure of themselves. I think, I think it's a show to show basis. Like some nights you think you're awesome. Some nights you think you, you know, should never be on stage ever again. I would say this. I feel like I, this is, this is like the, maybe the, the most conceited I could say of this is like, I feel like, I at least have an idea of why it went wrong. Okay. You know, like I, I, I feel like I don't know if I have the capability to correct it, but I at least can see problems. I feel like I, I was at a point where I could feel that. I think that's like as best as you can be. Like maybe, you know, maybe I'm like two steps behind, but I at least recognize that this, well, that there are steps to be taken. Did you do any directing for the theater? A little or- bit. Okay, I wonder if that helps you out with, you know, looking at your set more objectively. It's like, okay, well, no, if, if you know, I, I screwed up that word, you know, I forgot that line or, you know, I had the mic too low. You know, I was inaudible here. Like if you could do like a, like a, you know, watch the tape and dissect it that way. Sure. Yeah. No, I, fi- I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's definitely that I, I don't, I like trying to figure out a way to make each so very different. Like if I can, if yeah. like I try to figure out ways to riff and like kind of like explore with the lineup, you know, like I don't I try not to stick to one set list. And, you know, if I can kind of riff out stuff, that's that's like what excites me. Like, I think the improv background and theater background, if anything, it allowed me to feel like, OK, you're going to be up here. So just if you just commit the if you just commit to it. It may not go well, but it's going to be better than if you don't. Yeah. Um. So, like, to me, it was like I think the only things I had, like, the two things I learned the most from like theater and improv was probably like the idea of like commitment and honesty. That like the only two things that like the audience can like 
truly sense is that you're not committed or you're not honest, you know? And that, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like go in with big swing and energy or anything. It's just like, you have some confidence in who you, that you are, who you are up there, you know, in some capacity. I wonder like if, if somebody came up to you and said, okay, well I'm thinking about doing stand up, like have no comedic background or ever. Would you recommend that they do improv as well or before they do stand up? If they just want to do stand up? No, yeah, no. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is that is improv that skill set is that pretty important to what you do? I mean, for me, it definitely, it, de- I, I can't like for sure. It, it changed. Like, if I didn't do improv, I, I wouldn't, there's no way I would be doing anything that I do in stand up. I would be a completely different stand up if I okay. did stand up. If I, if I never did improv, like for me, yeah, for sure. But I want to do improv. Like, if someone wants to do stand up and like whenever someone ever asks me like what should I do I want to do stand up it's just like just watch stand up and then go do it at least 3 or 4 nights a week. It's right. like it you know go sign up for these over mics and then that's that's it. Like it's just kind of like a it's it's really just kind of like like go do it kind of thing which I had no idea. It would have been nice if I <laughs> well, <laughs> would have been like nice a, if someone told me. A lot of people, you know, I I've never taken an, a stand up class, you know, or an improv class and I would think taking an improv class is more beneficial than a stand up class. I just don't know. I've never done either. But as a writer, I mean, we all took, you know, what, 10, 12, 14 years of English classes to get everybody to be ready to be a writer. But I don't know about you. I paid almost no attention during English class. So when I became a sports writer, a journalist, you know, my mom, who taught kindergarten and whatever, she knows all my teachers. She would say, oh, yeah, Mike's a writer now. And they're like, really, Mike? (laughs) Like, because I got like maybe B's, C's, and I got a 45 and one marking period in English. So that lady was really surprised. But but I, I still, I know, I don't know if I know enough to teach somebody how to write. I could definitely edit the shit out of a paper and fix all the problems, but I don't know enough to explain it. And I think, you know, for me, writing and reading other people's articles, that was the most beneficial thing I could do. So when you say, okay, get on stage, do stand up, watch stand up, that's exactly what that is. And it's like, you learn so much by the experience and, you know, uh, and a common experience too. It's like, okay, well, you know, that's how Chappelle does it. That's how Birbiglia does it. That's how Mulaney does it. That's how, you know, Pryor did it. And that's why I think with, with, you could tell, like, especially when a comedian's early, it's like, oh, I know who their influence is because that guy has the cadence of a Mitch Hedberg. And, sure, sure. You know, like that's, you know, unmistakable. But is there anybody you grew up watching who you kind of emulated by accident when you started doing stand up? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the night, right? Like, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, <laughs> I think I think everybody does in some way. It's almost impossible not to. You know, I I mean, I I've talked differently because of a movie. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yep. it's so it, I feel like there's no doubt that almost everybody like there's some kind of there's definitely some kind of inflection here and there for sure. Like there's even there's even bits that I've had that sometimes I've said differently and been like, oh, that's that I, that sounds like that other person. Yeah. You yeah. know, even though it's just like this, it's my joke, but it's just like just the fact that I said three words that they've said before. You know what I mean? Like this, like, a, you know, like those things like with those little transitioning things like in stand up where like, you know, the person says like, uh, what else? Like that kind of thing. Like 
I've said what else the same way as another comic I like. You know what I mean? Like that, that like those micro things happen all the time. I think they still happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, even something like, oh, th- that guy holds the mic the same way. <laughs> yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like I, I, I've caught myself st- like standing in a way I'm like, I'm, d- I'm doing, I'm doing so-and-so exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just like, like <laughs> I think it's Burr who leans on the microphone stand and uh, it might not be him. It might be somebody else, but there's, we would see that uh, um, down in Binghamton where like, you knew by how this guy stood and you know <laughs> how he was leaning one way. It's like, dude, you're, you are a really big Jay Okerson fan, aren't you? Like, <laughs> like that's okay. I get it. Like I haven't seen anybody, you know, come out on the stage with no shirt. So we have no right, right, Kreischer right. guys. Thank <laughs> right, God. Right. But uh, it's coming. <laughs> I think the thing with like, with the standing or just like cadence and all that, I think another part of that is just like, you know, it, it's just like doing what feels familiar. Cause that feels like it's going to work. Yeah. So it's like, there's a fear of like, and it's also just not knowing, like, I, you know, you asked me the, you know, the first hundred times what I, when I was doing standup, like I thought I knew what I was doing, but you know, now I, now I look at it. It's just like, Oh my God, what would you think? <laughs> you <know>? but, <laughs> but yeah. And I just think that kind of gradually changes over time. Well, do you remember? I mean, I, I assume you're more comfortable on stage, but I mean, do you remember when it felt like, okay, like I belong here, I'm comfortable, like this is, I don't need to worry so much about this set. Cause I mean, if you're, if you're varying up the sets every night, which I do the same thing, you know, not, not that I'm this great comedian or whatever, but I don't like being bored by my own. I feel like if I'm bored by my own material, people are going to see that and be bored by it too. Um, sure. So, I mean, do you, was there a point where you're like, okay, I got this. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more re- relaxed with the process at least. I mean, like for me, honestly, like before, like before 2019, I would say like, I basically was doing this, like a lot of the same material, but the difference was, was like, I also just, I always had this burning desire to just like, kind of just like riff and do crowd work, you know? So whenever I was in longer sets, it was a little bit different, but like I started to feel more comfortable with that. So I started to like be able to like kind of drift away from doing material. Like maybe that was like maybe 2018. I would like try to like, you know, try to riff out stuff. But like now, like I've basically for the most part kind of retired all the material from before COVID, like I would say like 90% of it. So it's like, I'm starting all over and that's been fun. But I also, because I haven't like gotten on stage that many times, it's like I've lost, I haven't like picked up the amount of times to like riff and do crowd work, which was like the kind of stuff I really like love doing. I just like interacting with the environment, kind of like trying to like build something together, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where I think the improv training comes in handy. Like I, sure. I don't, I like crowd work. I think I'm okay at it, but I'm not practice enough in doing it so the confidence is never fully there for me the the nice part about like improv was i kind of just taught you of like listening that listening was more important than what you're saying and so like you pick up just like habits of just like listening to that person and picking up that like one or two words that they said that like which changes it from normal like i think i can't remember i can't remember who it was but it was some like improv like 
theater owner, like someone like 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 a Matt Besser from U- UCB or like N- Mick Napier from uh, Annoyance. It was like some guy like that. I can't remember, but he he said something like, "So this is improv format called the Armando, and is someone tells a story." There's a group of improvisers and then they have a guest. The guest comes on, they get a word, and then they tell a story based on that word. And the improvisers are saying like the thing, and then the improvisers do scenes based off of that story. So what's important about that is that when that person is telling a story, those improvisers need to listen to what's in the story in order to make scenes that can be extrapolated from it, right? In order to do that, you have to carefully listen to the story and you have to pick up on the, the words. And like this improviser said, like the reason something's a story to somebody, when someone whenever someone tells a story, is because it was different than how it normally should go. Okay. And so you have to so you have to find the threads of how that normally should go. So for instance, the guest, uh, the monologist, they get the suggestion of jewelry. They tell a story about a time they went to a jewelry store. Well, they're not going to tell you a story about the time they went to a jewelry store. They bought a bracelet, they paid for it, they signed, and then they just walked right out. That's not the story. They're going to tell you the story about when that jewelry store got robbed or when the person at the clerk was really rude and they had a fight or, you know, there was a, you know, somebody's somebody's pants fell down or like whatever, like something happened at that jewelry store for that person to remember it and say like that story. So you have to, so what made that unique? And then if that's true, then what else is true? So then you can extrapolate from that. And then that's the other big part that I learned from improv is like taking something and going, okay, if this is true, what else is true? And then you kind of use that rabbit hole and that's like pretty good for a back and forth with somebody. Yeah. So, so when you're I don't know going, if that answered it, but <laughs> oh, I don't even see. I I have no. I don't remember. Training. I don't remember the question. I got so used to just like rambling. <laughs> well, well I, I have no improv training, so I forgot to listen to you. So we're good. I, uh, no, I. Do, so when you have a set, like if you got like a ten minute spot or a fifteen minute spot, let's go fifteen because it's a little bit longer, obviously. But do you say, okay, well, I've got you know ten minutes of material to work on. I want to leave you know, five minutes to play around with the audience and see where this goes? Um, Yeah, I guess it kind of depends. I mean, if I, it depends on a lot of different factors. Like if there's something weird about the place or like just like some kind of rift that happens. Yeah, if I find something, if I find something early, yeah, I will try to see how long I can go without doing a single bit. Oh, wow. Like that would be, that would be the goal. But there's also, but more so than the goal is like, there's always like, there's three bits that I just need to do. Okay. Like I just, I, I have to do these because whatever reasons I, I'm really excited about them. The new, I want to know if they're like, they should be, you know, off the shelf or whatever. There's just like these three bits, right. Or, you know, there could be more, I'm just saying three as yeah. a number, but so yeah, there's that. And then there's always the factor of like, yeah, there's like two bits that I really like that. I know the audience would really like. So I want to do that, but yeah, yeah, it's like I guess like open and close. Maybe I'll try to do that and then maybe I'll try to spring on something, but if I feel like there is an opportunity to not really do any material, I will take that. <laughs> I, I mean, will seek it. You've done a bunch of stuff online. I mean, do you do you use the same format 
online? I mean, it was uh, I don't like know how- the Zoom. Sh- yeah. Like Zoom shows and stuff. Yeah. Oh, the thing about the Zoom shows is like, I could, I can't do my set. I just, I can't, I've, I'm not criticizing in any way comics who like, like I know I've seen comics, like they like set up their room, like to yeah. like in, to do their act. And it's like, that's impressive. And they're like crafting and writing jokes. But like, for me, I was like, I have to do like my material in the, with the audience, whether that's outside or what, like, but like I have the, I need the audience there. So like what I've been doing with the zoom shows is this like, I've been just like, so I moved back to my mom's house like a few months ago and I just been like playing around with all the weird shit in the house. So I just like kind of do like a tour around the house and just <laughs> like, here's all these weird, like fucking action figures and figurines. And I just kind of play with that. So it's just like, I just created kind of like a, like a little like zoom set that's only conducive to these things that i don't that's it's something i'll never have to do again right and it's something i only have to do in this instance and i don't so it's interesting for me but i also can preserve the idea of like doing my actual act it's just like kind of how do i avoid telling jokes is basically the main (laughs) point of this podcast (laughs) i think um, i think every comedian at his or her heart wants to be a little bit of a prop comedian and now zoom shows are allowing us to do that without judgment so i'm okay with it i would even go as far as say like every comic would rather be a musician and most i would say 95 percent of comedians would rather be a musician if they could yeah it's because it's the sheer fact of holding something (laughs) (laughs) holding holding something while like people are cheering you is like I don't know what's better. Like that's that's why people like quarterbacks and guitarists. You know, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> and like you know, the focus is on you, yeah. all the time. And you know, I I don't remember the last time I went to a concert and just watched the drummer. Like yeah. I like the drummer; he's fine. But show me the guy who's got a guitar and a microphone in front of his face, and that's the guy I'm watching for. You know, eighty five percent of the show. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know anybody who's ever not enjoyed a concert outside of like some tech issue that happened, you know, right? like, unless that artist is like, you know, you know, sadly, like, incapacitated, or you know, has some kind of, you know, like, drug issue or something like that. Like, besides that, or like, the the sound went out. I don't know anybody that's not enjoyed a con- never like ever left the cause and not enjoyed it i know plenty of people who have not enjoyed comedy shows like, <laughs> like, like i know way more <laughs> <laughs> do you remember your worst show your worst set do i remember my worst set i yeah. remember i remember yeah oh yeah i remember it it was one of my one of my worst ones was uh in chicago i did a set at this bar and i'm just i'm just bombing like just i'm looking at it and it's just stone face and i'm trying everything and i am like i'm, I'm yelling i'm moving around I'm, I'm i'm trying every i'm trying i'm trying the easiest jokes i think would work i'm trying to pander to them i get defensive <laughs> and try to like <laughs> and try to like be mean to them they don't like that either like there was nothing i could do and it wasn't like all the other comics had done well in the show you know, to various degrees, but like, it was like a good enough, you'd like the show was good. You know what I mean? Like it was fine. Like, you know, uh, it was clear that the audience was into watching comedy. Sometimes you, you go, Oh, they didn't want 
they they all are kind of pissed that they're here. Like, you know, sometimes before <laughs> it even starts, you can just see that they did not want to be here. But like this one seemed fine, right? They hated me. And I remember I said, uh, I got the light and I remember I said, well, I'm going to get off soon. And guy in the front row goes, not soon enough. <laughs> and and oh, people didn't even, I looked into the audience and usually something like that, people would laugh. People were pleased and up, like more upset that I'm not off yet. Like it was yeah. like, they were so like, they didn't even think what he was saying was funny. They found it to be so accurate that it upsets them that it still hasn't happened. Oh like, God. That, that was, that was one. Um, I've had some doozies, but that was the one that like stung the most. That's the one I still like really, really, really remember, you know? Does that make you like, I mean, I don't know how many, did you have a show in Chicago the next day or were you out of town after that? Um, let me, I think I did a show like the next night or I did, I think I did a set. I think I did like an open mic, like, like two hours later. Yeah. I think actually that night I did an open mic right after. (laughs) Did you use like the same, the same type of material at the open mic? Oh, I don't remember, but I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So I, I don't remember what I did at the open mic, but I remember doing it, and I remember doing it to silence and not upsetting me because very little people were listening at that point. <laughs> and then I remember this one comic who I'd seen before, and I'd seen his like face around stuff. So I was like, oh, I, I just recognized him as some guy who like was doing a lot of stuff. I remember him saying to me, like, hey, man, I know no one was listening, but those were some good jokes. And I was like, oh, fucking thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it was like I I remember that. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I, I it wasn't a total loss that night. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I did a, one of my worst shows I've ever done was at this bar in Pennsylvania and just, you know, center of Pennsylvania. It didn't really matter. And not a whole lot of people there. I was hosting the show, but I didn't, not really. Like we had a host, we thought, and then it was the producer of the show. He got on, on the mic and he says, Hey Mike, do you want to, do you want to host? And I'm like putting together a camera to record it. I'm like, I, I guess. And then he did play <laughs> by play of me putting my camera together and then walking to the stage. And I was like, all right. And then I did my set. The dude sat behind me and did commentary on a Facebook live video of my set. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening here? And like, I, I did a show to nobody, basically. And I felt like absolute dog shit. And then on the way back, uh, I'm like texting with a buddy of mine who runs an open mic in Scranton. And on the way back, I, I told a friend of mine that I was with, I said, do you mind if we stop at this place so I can do a set? He goes, yeah, dude, go for it. Because my friend did a set in front of people at the show. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yeah, dude, you need this. So. I went to that open mic, did the same material just out of principle, and it worked really well. And like, fuck yeah, like it wasn't me. It was, you know, like I mean, it, part of it was probably me, but I was like, no, I, I need it. Like I had this this little vindication that I needed. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, like I, I just if I if I went and I had a poor set in Chicago, I might be like, I can never go back to Chicago now. That's kind of sucks. I like the city. <laughs> <laughs> that no, no, it never really. I mean, I think it's more like I'd be more nervous to do that show again yeah. than it would be like the city or anything. But even then, you know, I, it's just kind of like, ah, 
what's the chances it's going to happen at the same place? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. The exact same thing? Because honestly, that was so bad. I was like, it can't be any worse. <laughs> like, it can, <laughs> like, There's no way it could get worse. <laughs> One of my favorite bombing stories. This, this wasn't even, this wasn't me, but I just love telling this story. I, I, I've told it a few times on podcasts. This is, this is, I saw a tape. I was helping a friend do like, just organizing they were getting a bunch of tapes for for shows and uh they asked me to just watch a few and i watched this one and it was this girl was doing a set at a pizza shop and the pizza shop she was doing a set pizza shop and it was just like whatever but the thing that was particularly interesting about was that the pizza shop was closing so like yeah. you saw like the delivery guy like take his hat off, like lights were getting turned off, people were cleaning the counters, and he was just doing her set. And it was one of those things I just I, I think about all the time. I I think there's I don't know there's like a beauty in that too. It's like like yeah like every comedian goes through that. I remember I was driving and listening to a podcast, and I had just gotten booked like like that minute i gotten booked on a show at a pizza place and then i listened to norm mcdonald say yeah like uh the 80s are kind of cool uh, it's not like today where you know people just do a show at a pizza place and i'm like oh okay like like there, i don't know there's this is a kind of romantic thing for me about performing to that one person who's cleaning up after a night you know at the at the bar or the bar or the restaurant like we've all gone through it yeah (laughs) do you have like a plan for you know post-pandemic life i mean do you know what you're gonna do i've kind of like see for me i kind of like i've settled with the idea that in some capacity for you know most of my life if if you know i can be allowed i will i will do stand-up right and so the idea of like you know i there are certainly things that would be awesome to do career wise and stuff like that. And, but really the, the thing is I just wanted, like, I just want to do shows and I can't, I can't imagine I won't be able to do that. So for me, I felt like I've spent a lot of my time trying to, you know, get to a place where I, you know, was just doing shows as often as possible. And now I, I I don't know. I kind of like I was before the pandemic. In fact, I was, working on trying to just make more time to do other things you know this like some creative projects that i'm a little bit uh i'm like pretty interested in working on and then you know but there's just like travel like you know i'm i now have like friends who have kids and i like you know and they live in different parts of the country and i you know want to see them you know you know i've been fortunate enough that throughout this pandemic i've gotten to spend more time with like family you know so the and like yeah, there's just little things that I kind of want to that I'm more interested in doing that I think will uh, help whatever whatever comedy I end up making in the future. You know, I feel like just the more experiences create a more well-rounded person, which makes a better artist. So it's more about that th- than it is like anything that I want to do on stage other than just like, you know, r- work on the new jokes that I've been writing throughout this whole year. Right. Yeah, I, I just uh, see. I think it's it's very difficult for me to you know once I got into stand up, like really dived right in there. I can't think about doing anything but 
you know, or, or doing something without that being an aspect. So sure. Uh, like I, I, that's why I was really thankful that, and I was hesitant to start, but I was really thankful that there was a virtual comedy. Like, so I had something, you know, kind of like a, a focal point for, okay, well, here's, here's what I'm shooting for. Like, like I, I can keep writing because I have an outlet. Uh, sure. Because I, I think if I, if I had taken like, you know, 14 months off or whatever, geez, I don't know. It'd be like, um like you graduate high school and then you take, you know, time off before you go to college. Like, are you really going to go to college? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I would <laughs> really gotten back into it or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. It's so I understand like, like taking a little bit of time off or, uh, you know, you know, recharging because I think we all needed that. I mean, especially if you're going all over the country. I mean, was this was this a good break for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I always feel like, you know, just constantly you always feel that sense of burning yourself out, just trying to like go out all the time and stuff like that. But like, yeah, I was like literally right before the pandemic i was on like you know essentially like a two-month trip around the country and like part of it was definitely comedy like part of it was like you know the antithesis of it was comedy actually you know what the real core of it was that i had one year to use a flight voucher so that was there you go (laughs) that was actually that was actually the real point of it but a flight voucher to hawaii so like i was like that was the real part of it actually (laughs) um but like yeah so it was like vacation was also on top of it like i was visiting family and stuff like that and it was just like i was doing some other stuff outside of it and it was just like kind of nice because i i got in that like nice little balance of like i knew i could do some like good shows and i knew i could like have some like fun good experiences and it was like oh this is the kind of balance that i i really you know was seeking yeah now, we teased it earlier. Uh, I know you like movies a whole lot. Do you have a favorite movie? A favorite movie is tough, but yeah. I can say like with the movies that like I would watch, I watch with consistency that I think like to me are like pretty much like as good as anything can be ever made. It's like, you know, it ranges. It's like Goodfellas, Do the Right Thing. Heat, Shining is like definitely one of my favorites. But like past 10 years, I think my favorite films are get out social network and parasite yeah um, I, I saw get out in the social network i like the social network a lot and oh man i really think anything aaron sorkin does i'll watch you know did you I, like uh chicago seven i didn't watch it yet uh it just okay. got on netflix i think yeah 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 it's on it's on netflix yeah i think you would like it if you like most of sorkin stuff i think you would dig that did you ever watch sports night I never saw Sports Night. I, you know, that's another thing about me is like I watch a lot of movies, but I don't really watch that much TV. Okay, um, there's very few like big name TV shows I've seen. Which yeah, is- Sports Night was that was I believe his first show that went big, and yeah. then he did West then Wing. He did West Wing, like right, he did both at the same time for a year, which I don't know how you do that, but because he, you know, he's the director, he's the he did a lot of the editing too, and. Wow. Uh, or at least you know he was with Tommy Shlami, I think, is, is that his editor. But yeah, he did all, all like majority of the writing and the. Uh, I'm, there's a reason he was on cocaine. Like there's like he needed to be on drugs. <laughs> well, if you okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on spot. Favorite comedy of all time. What is it? Favorite comedy film. Yeah. Oh. Uh, oh, I think it ranges between. It's either Hollywood Shuffle. Hollywood Shuffle, Anchorman, Coming to America, 
it's like it's one it's one of those three but i also say this i don't think i laughed harder in any movie going experience in my life than like scary movie and borat now granted i was like i don't know like i was i was like 12 and 16 yeah, or yeah, yeah. 17 or whatever when those movies came out but still i don't think i don't remember laughing hard i think borat and wedding crashes was like the hardest i ever laughed ever in a movie but yeah i, I i'd say my favorites that i watch over and over and still make me laugh would be hollywood shuffle anchorman coming to america i've never seen hollywood shuffle I've seen the others oh hollywood shuffle is fantastic dude it's um Robert Townsend made this movie. In, it's like I think it's in '87, and it's it's basically what it's like to be a black actor at that time. And he, it's just a series of different vignettes and sketches, and they're like for the most part, they all like a lot of them like really hold up, and it's just <laughs> it's it's absolutely hilarious, dude. Yeah, you got to check out Keen Ivory Wayans. Oh, uh, wrote that's it all with I had to do. It's. Uh, Anything with the Waynes. I was gonna say it was a scary movie. Anything with the Waynes brothers. Uh, oh I'm yeah, I mean, I man, I wonder. It's weird, like to think, but if you took the Waynes family out, like they were, they never existed. Comedy would be so much different. I mean, oh they, yeah, you think about you would eat- SNL rejected Jim Carrey, and then they're like, oh yeah, come on to this predominantly black show, Jim Carrey, and then oh he's you know. What he made like seven million for Dumb and Dumber and like twenty million for The Mask and whatever. I mean, it's like okay, this that dude. Thank you, Keenan Ivory Waynes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like even even before that, like I'm gonna get you, sucker. I yeah. mean that the first. It's like I think that's the first role Chris Rock ever had. You know, uh, in a movie. Like it's a staggering like six degrees of like what the Waynes have done in comedy as like a, as a family. It's like wildly impressive. It's like, I don't, I don't know if there's another family that's been more dominant in like me, like, I don't know, like the Reitman's, but I mean, half of Jason Reitman's movies aren't even comedies. Like they're actually dramas. So I, yeah, I don't even know if there's another family like that, like that's as that's been as prominent over the past, like, what 20 30 years no it's, it's and my wife impressive. and kids was a good tv show like you didn't watch it probably but yeah but and then uh, yeah with damon wayans yeah and then yeah junior is a new girl and i mean and he looks exactly like damon wayans i always say that that they should uh, have you seen blank man oh man blank man's great yeah i think what they should do is the marvel universe should buy blank man and yeah. cast damon wayans jr to play him and that would be there you go great. it's perfect i'm all in yeah i'm all in on that <laughs> I'm all in on that. I am totally all in on that. That that I would definitely that would definitely be like it. It takes a lot to convince me to watch like Doctor Strange four or whatever. Yeah. But like, if you told me there was a remake of Blank Man, I'd buy the tickets ahead of time. I oh. I no problem, no problem. I'll if I have to, I will wear a fucking gas mask at the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. Like I'm looking at the DVD now because I brought it down to my office to watch recently, and I probably watched Blank Man. It used to be on Comedy Central all the time. I haven't seen it there in a while. Yeah. But I probably watch it once a year, maybe once every couple of years. And the part where his robot, this cheaply made J5 robot, he falls down the stairs and it's like it goes on forever. And <laughs> and that was before like like Peter Griffin on Family Guy, you know, bashed his shin and then ah oh, forever. Like it was just like 
long enough to where it never got unfunny. It just built and built and built. I mean, and it hits you differently when you're a kid and you're an adult. I don't know if it's a perfect comedy, but man, it's close. Yeah, it's so it's, good. It's so funny. It's so funny. Like, yeah, I agree. Like, it, like when he's when he's crying, like G yep. five. <laughs> I, I fucking yeah. I I love that movie. It's been a little bit since I've seen it, and I I'm I'm like you. I used to watch that movie like once a year. I got I might I might rewatch Blank Man like pretty it's so soon. good, man. <laughs> Well, I'm going to let you do that, but uh, dude, I-, I love talking to you. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun. How can oh, people yeah, follow dude. along with you? Uh, the Sam Ike on Instagram and Twitter would be ideal. Be ideal. I uh, try to ask people if they have anything to promote, but geez, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, no idea. No, I mean, I they I just follow me on that. I don't really, yeah, I don't really have like a thing. But I mean, follow me on that, and you'll see the things that will be uh, will be working on soon. So. I guess that's kind of nice. Well, man, uh, I loved it. Uh, so thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was fun talking baseball for once. Oh, yeah, dude. This was an absolute blast. I don't get to do that too often. So <laughs> Again, thanks so much, man. And uh, I'll talk to you in a bit. All right. Thank you. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in